0: Um, if, you, if you have your Bible today, the Gospel according to Luke will be in Luke chapter 9, and we will begin in uh, verse 1, Luke chapter 9 and verse 1, and we are continuing our study in Luke. And you'll remember that Jesus has, uh, he's been spending quite a bit of time in the region of Galilee, and we're nearing the end of his time here. Now, just to kind of orient you, Jesus, uh, he would move on to a different place And so, Galilee is is kind of a a sizable region. He's been spending a bit of time, but he is getting ready to leave, and he's going to be headed off to Jerusalem, where he will eventually be sentenced to death on the cross, uh, crucified, and will rise again. Now, kind of the the climactic event in his time in Galilee is um, the feeding of the 5,000. Probably you're familiar with that. If you've been in church for a while, you probably have heard that uh, or read that incident out of the Gospels. And so that is really the climax of his time in Galilee. And so that is next, Lord willing, it will be next week's text. Okay, and so um, we have next week's text will probably be the Feeding the 5,000. That will lead to Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ of God. And that will be probably the week after that. And uh, like I said, then it goes on at the end of chapter 9 and begins his, uh, his trek to Jerusalem. Now today's text is really leading up to this. And you remember that he's been Jesus has been going around healing, he's been teaching, he's been preaching, he's been casting out demons, been doing all these things and and one of the reasons he's doing that is because he's giving his disciples on the job training. Now one of the things I've I've learned uh, having gone to school is that school doesn't teach you everything you need to know. In fact it gives you kind of a basis, but it's really once you get into the job that's when you find out the things that you need to know. And, and so, so Jesus has been going with his disciples. He's been showing them what to do. He's been showing them how he ministers. And now he's going to send them out on their own. He's going to send them out in pairs. Our text today doesn't tell us that when the, uh, some of the other gospels do. But he's going to send them out on what we might call a short-term mission trip. He's going to send the 12 out in pairs. So there are going to be six groups of two that go out and minister now that's kind of our our backdrop he's showing them what to do has shown them what to do and then he's going to send them out on their own so if you found luke chapter nine and are able to i'd like you to stand with me in honor of god's word we'll pick up in verse one and read down to verse uh, verse 11 says and he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to heal diseases and he, sent out, uh, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and, and to perform healing. And he said to them, "...take nothing for your journey, neither staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as, and as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off, for, off your feet as a testimony against them. Departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere." Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all they had done. Taking them with him, he withdrew uh, withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida, But the crowds were aware of this and followed him, and welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the first thing I want you to see in our text today is the commission and ministry of the disciples. The commission and ministry of the disciples, now, if you look at verse one, it says that Jesus called together the twelve these are the, these are the twelve disciples. Now you remember disciple is kind of a broad term that just means a learner, a follower of Christ, and so there were a lot of disciples, a lot of people that followed Christ, but there were some on the inner circle, they were the core they were they, they were the they were the end group, you might say, not because they were more popular, but these are the people that Jesus was investing his life in he, he was He was showing them what uh, He was showing them how to live, how to minister, and he was giving them teaching that would build the foundation of the church. And so he he calls these 12 together, and you'll notice in verse 10, the wording switches. It doesn't talk about them being the 12. It doesn't call them disciples. It actually calls them apostles. Now, apostle has the idea of being sent. And so Jesus sends these men out. And then they come back in, they return and give a report, they have a debriefing, you might say, of all that they've done and said, and he gives them authority. They they were basically his ambassadors. Now, if you look at verses 1 and following, he gives them authority over diseases and demonic powers and, and gives them, the Bible says, power and authority. Power and authority to cast out demons and to heal diseases. Now, no doubt the disciples, the apostles, did some amazing things. They, they, would, they would cause the blind to see and the, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, and so forth. They, they, they did all kinds of miracles and, and performed exorcisms, but they didn't have that ability within themselves. See, so that's one of the big differences between Jesus and the apostles. Jesus could do it because he is God incarnate. They could do it because they were entrusted, they were empowered by Jesus to do these amazing things. It was a delegated authority. Jesus had within himself, he is the source, they were the ones who were dependent on him. He was the vine, they are the branches, so to speak. Now when it says that he gave them power, that's the, that's the ability to work miracles. So let's say that they, they came across somebody who was blind, who couldn't see. They could speak, they could command sight to return to those blind eyes, and it would happen. Now you or I, we can say, if we saw somebody who was blind, we can, we can speak and command that site to return, but it's not going to happen. We don't have that ability. The apostles did. It had been granted to them by Christ. But he also gave them authority, the authority to cast out demons. Now, Again, you had to have the authority of God to cast out demons. And we see sometimes in the Bible that there were people that didn't have that that tried. So, for instance, in the book of Acts, there was a time where there were seven men, seven Jewish brothers who were the sons of a chief priest, and they went around, this is in Acts 19, and they went around and they were doing exorcisms. They were trying to cast out demons. And they would heard that Paul was having some success by casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And so the Bible says that these seven Jewish men, these seven exorcists, went to someone who had a demon, and they said, we, 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 we cast you out by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Do you remember this story? And, and the man, the, the demon speaking through the man, Said, I, I know Jesus. I recognize Paul, but I don't know who you are. And the Bible says that this demon possessed man attacked the seven brothers, whooped them, and they fled naked. I mean, it, they got into to it's kind of a, a brawl. And so, so, the, so there were these people who couldn't do what the apostles did. In fact, some of the apostles, uh, even even though Jesus had sent them out, again, they didn't have this ability within themselves because. If, uh, if you have your Bible, you can look down a little bit lower. In verse 37 and following, there's an account where Jesus has some disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He comes down, and there's a man who greets Jesus and says, Could, could you cast out this demon because my, my child is, is possessed, and, and sometimes it, it throws him into the fire and does all these things. And I brought him to your disciples, and they couldn't do it. They, they, it, like I said, it was not an ability, it was not a power that they had within themselves. Had to depend on Christ. Now, I, I want you to see their, their, their mission. Next, I want you to see their proclamation. Their proclamation, look at verse 2. It says that he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and perform healing. What we always want to focus on is the healing. We want to focus on the miraculous. We want to focus on, on the supernatural. Now, that's impressive stuff, but it's, it wasn't like Jesus sent them out just on a healing mission. Those things are good. It, re, it relieves human suffering. But he sent them out primarily to proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, healings, exorcisms, all those things are not an end in themselves. Like I said, they, they do benefit humanity. The main thing was that they were to proclaim the gospel. Now, what does it mean to proclaim the gospel? It means that they were to to, to preach, to herald, to, to cry out, and tell people about the kingdom of God. They were to call people to repentance and faith in Christ. For He is the only way to enter the kingdom of God. He is not a pretty good way. He is not one among many ways. He is not the best way. He is the way, the only way, to get to heaven. It's not by doing good works. It's not by... Trying your best is not by being sincere because you can be sincerely wrong. I mean, I, I've, I remember one time Scarlett and I went to a, a restaurant. It was one of those rotating restaurants. It was up in was it, Kansas City, is that where it was? Has anybody ever been to that, the, the rotating restaurant? And I swore we were turning one way. And she said, no, we're going the other way. And I was sincere in my belief. And so we made a bet. I was sincerely wrong, and I ended up, what was it, a 20-minute, 30-minute foot rub. I was sincerely wrong, and it it cost me. Now, listen, you can be sincere in your faith and be sincerely wrong, and it's going to cost you if you miss it with Jesus. It's not due to your heritage. It's not because your your, your parents had a faith. It's not because your good friend has a, a faith. Those things don't get you into heaven. If you would see the kingdom of God, Jesus said, you must be born again. You must turn from your sin and trust Christ as your Savior. Because Jesus said, I am the way, not a way, the way, the truth, and the life. No one, that means you and that means me, comes to the Father, but through Him, through Christ. Jesus is the way, and he sent his people out, his disciples, his apostles, and they proclaimed this message to people. Repent and believe on Jesus. So the question that you need to ask today is, are you headed to heaven when you die? Because if not, you can remedy that today. Repent and believe the gospel. Believe on Christ today. So, so what was the purpose? We see the proclamation. What was the purpose of the miracles since they were not an end in themselves, well, like I said, one, one purpose clearly was to benefit humanity to relieve human suffering, but more to the point here, they validated the message of the apostles. The miracles served to validate the message of the apostles now're we're very we 're very fortunate today because we have the completed canon of scripture. We have the Bible for much of of christianity uh, the, the first many years. They didn't have all of Scripture written down in one place. But we have that. And so what, what God would do... See, we, we read the Bible and we see all these miraculous things happening. And I think sometimes we think in our minds, well, miracles just happen every day in the Bible. It's just all over the place. Miracles were happening here and you go over there and, and something miraculous happened. Most of the time they didn't happen. The miracles were a, uh, they, they were a rare event and usually, if you'll, if you'll pay attention to when they happen, they generally happened around times when God was giving Scripture. They've served to validate the message of the person who was giving this, this, uh, this teaching. And so, so as, these, as these apostles went out, they're proclaiming the Gospel. God validated their message through miracles. You say, well, where do you see that in Scripture? Well, John chapter 10, verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe, the works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. Or 2 Corinthians twelve twelve, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Or Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His will. So Jesus sent these people out to proclaim the message, repent and believe the gospel, believe on Jesus Christ for the the forgiveness of sins. And then He validated that message with miracles, with the exorcisms, with the healings. And finally, before we move on to Herod's uh, response to all this, I want you to see their provisions. Look at verse 3. Or, or more accurately, I guess you'd say, the lack of provisions that Jesus sent him out with. He says, don't take anything for your journey. Don't even take a change of clothes. Now clearly, this is not a command for all people at all times and all places. Because later in, in uh, even in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells them to take supplies. He said, you remember when I told you don't take anything? Well, this time you take stuff. So he's not telling missionaries, go out unprepared. He's not telling us whenever we travel, travel so light you don't even take a suitcase, don't, don't bring money for food. He's not saying that. So why did he tell them, tell, them, tell them this now? Well, he told them this because these things were not to be their focus. Their focus this is supposed to be on preaching the gospel. And, and he was showing them when you put Christ and his kingdom first, God and his righteousness first, all these things will be added to you. And in addition to this, it's a short-term trip. They don't need a whole lot. And I think as, as we try to apply this to ourselves, I think the, the point is that, that just like with these apostles, God will take care of us. When we put him first, when we, when, when we make the focus of our lives, the advancement of his kingdom, when that is our priority, he will care for our needs. So, so these disciples, they, they go out, they're traveling in pairs, they're, they're traveling lightly, not a, whole lot, uh, not a whole lot's going with them. And Jesus says, when you get to a city, verses uh, 4 and 5, when you get to a city, if you're welcomed into a house, you stay in that house until you leave the city. In other words, don't go to a place, and you sit up there for a while, and you say, you know what, this is a pretty nice place, but down the street, there's a little bit better neighborhood. And I bet if I can, if I can just smooze with the right person, that they'll invite me into their home, and I'll have a little bit better accommodations. Now, the, d- doing this would, if you go into a place and you stay there until you leave, it would keep them from the temptation of, of trying to fleece the flock, so to speak, of trying to take advantage, of trying to manipulate situations and people for, for the betterment of themselves. They, they weren't to go out looking for people with more prestige. They, they got to a place... And they stayed there. And then in verse 5, those places that didn't receive them, because let's, let's face it, a lot of people aren't going to accept Christ. And so verse 5, he says the people, the, the places, the cities that don't receive you, you leave and you shake the dust off your feet as you're going. Now that was something that the Jewish people would do whenever they traveled. And so what would happen is they go to a Gentile land. Remember, Gentiles were considered unclean. And so before they got back to their homeland, they would take off their shoes and they would shake the dust off their, off their shoes. They, they would shake the dust off their feet because it, it was a symbolic act saying, they're unclean. We don't even want the unclean dirt from the unclean lands of the unclean people getting into our, getting into our homeland. And so Jesus, when he says, you shake the dust off your feet if, if people don't, um, don't accept uh, you don't accept the gospel. He's saying, you, this is a sign of judgment, that these people are unholy, are unclean, and, and it's, it's a symbolic act of judgment. Now, this flies in the face of everything that we do in the American church, doesn't it? Because what we do in the American church is we would never, never talk about shaking the dust off our feet if somebody doesn't accept We would never, Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. We would never think about not doing that. Because we would do almost anything for people to at least give lip service to the need of Christ. And and the reason for that, I I think I, I think we in America at least we 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 do this out of good motives, but I think it ends up with bad results. Because we want people so badly to become Christians. We want people so badly to, to enter the kingdom of God that we, we want to remove any and every obstacle for them to do so. And so what ends up happening is people say, well, you know, if, if, if a, a, an unsaved person comes into the church and if you preach the Bible and you talk about sin and righteousness and judgment, those things are going to turn them off and therefore you need to tone it down a little bit. Well, it needs to be more seeker-sensitive. Well... Listen, we must not forget that the, the instruction to repent is not a suggestion. It's not a request. It is a command of Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of God, is at hand. And, and today, I mean, we have a, a similar imagery that we use. We talk about washing our hands of a situation. That's what these people, these, these apostles, were to do. And, and again... There has to come a time when each of us makes a decision in our own lives. Who are we going to serve? Are we going to serve God? Or are we going to follow him or not? And then the question I want you to ask of yourselves, I want to ask you and, and I want you to answer in your own heart, who are you serving? Have you made that choice to follow Christ? Have, have you put your faith in him? Have you surrendered all to serve the Lord? You say, no, not yet. Well, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? Now, we need to move on to the second point. (laughs) Um, Look at verses 7 to 9. These will go pretty quickly. We've seen the commission of the disciples. We've seen their ministry. Next, I want you to see the confusion of Herod. The confusion of Herod. Verse 7 mentions Herod the Tetrarch. Now, again, try to orient you. There are several Herods mentioned in history and in the Bible. There was Herod the Great. He was alive when Jesus was born. He died soon afterwards. He, his kingdom was divided into three different parts, and three of his sons ruled over about a third of that, of that kingdom. One of his sons was also named Herod. His name was Herod Antipas, and that's the Herod that we see in our text today. This is, this is the Herod that had John the Baptist put to death. This is the Herod that later when Jesus was, he goes before Pilate, Pilate finds out that he's from Galilee, and, and so Herod's over that part. So Pilate sends him to Herod. That's, this is the Herod that is in view. So he hears about all that's happening, especially Matthew 14 says he hears specifically about Jesus. And the Bible says he is greatly perplexed. Now, the word perplexed, the, the word that's translated that uh, as perplexed, has the idea of a traveler who's, who's going along. Remember, they didn't used to have Google Maps. They didn't have Rand McNally. Um, they, they didn't have any of those things. And so a traveler's going along, and they get to an intersection. There are paths that go out different ways, and only one of them gets to his location. And this perplexed traveler is looking at those. There are no road signs, and they're trying to figure out which path to take. And that, that feeling of trying to figure it out, of anxiety, of, of, of confusion, of worry, of, of all those things, that has, that, that's perplexed. And so Jesus, uh, Jesus is sending these people out. He's doing these miracles. Herod hears about it, and the Bible says he's perplexed. He's at a crossroads in his life. And, and he has to figure out what to believe about Jesus, and he is perplexed. Now, Matthew 14, two says that he suspects this is actually John the Baptist raised from the dead. And that's why he's, he has these miraculous powers, which, frankly, I think it sounds like a guilty conscience because he knows he shouldn't have had John beheaded. Begin. Notice verse nine. He asks a question. He says, "Who is this man? Who is this man?" Then it says he kept trying to see him. Now, first he asked the most important question: "Who is Jesus? Who is this man?" That's a question we all must answer. And if our answer is anything but He is our personal Lord and Savior, we're doomed for condemnation. You can say he's a good teacher. Yes, he is. He's a miracle worker. He's all these things, but he's a whole lot more than that. He is God incarnate. He came to save us from the wrath of God that our sins deserve. And he'll save any and all who come to him in repentance and faith. He'll wash our sins away. But notice too, the Bible says in verse 9 that Herod wanted to see him. Now there's no indication that between then and when Jesus stood before him on his way to the cross, there's no indication that Herod ever made, made the effort to actually come to him, to actually see him, to speak to him. And listen, it's not enough to wonder about Jesus. It's not enough to, to, to be perplexed at him. It's not enough to have a desire to learn more about him. If we would be saved, we must each come to him personally in faith last thing i want you to see is the crowd's perseverance the crowd's perseverance so the apostles the 12 they return again they're they're telling jesus all about what's happening they they they're they're debriefing him they're saying these are the things these are things we taught these are the miracles we performed here's where it happened at here's all this stuff And so Jesus pulls them away, Mark 6.30 says, so they could rest a while. Because they were so busy, Mark 6 tells us, they were so busy people were coming and going so much they didn't even have time to eat. This shows me they were not Baptists. (laughs) Because we make time to eat, but they couldn't. They were so busy with people always come to Jesus. I I have this problem. Can can, Can you explain this? Can you heal me? I have all this stuff happening. So all these people are coming to Jesus. Jesus says, you know what, guys, let's go away and rest a while. Matthew 14 also tells us this is when Jesus found out that Herod had beheaded his cousin, John the Baptist. So probably he was wanting to get away from the crowd a little bit and grieve. And he's probably wanting to take the disciples aside, teach them, say, okay, now you did this in this situation. Next time, maybe do this and, and give them some instructions but there was no rest for the weary because the crowds found out where he was going. You look, look at verse 11. Here's one of the most amazing things. They, they go, they, they withdraw. Verse 11, the crowds were aware of this and followed him. And here's, here's an amazing thing. He welcomed them. He didn't say, oh, scram, get out of here. At least give me a day. Give me an evening, would you? I need to talk to my guys. I need to, I, need to, I need to process that my cousin has been beheaded. I need to do all these things. Give me a minute. He didn't say any of that. The Bible says he welcomed them, he preached the kingdom of God to them, and he healed their sick. And I want you to put this down. Many times, many times, what we consider an interruption to our ministry is our ministry. What we consider an interruption to our ministry is our ministry. When we're doing what God's called us to do, when we are being obedient to Him, He will often orchestrate, orchestrate events so that our paths cross with other people. And haven't you noticed it's at inopportune times? It's when we don't have time to talk. It's when it's an interruption, but that that intersection is God-ordained. Now listen, there there, there are times, and there are situations, not everything, I mean, there are some situations, there are some, can I say people, who are a time and emotional black hole. I'll say it, because you know it's true. But listen, rather than getting annoyed at at people that cross our paths, Jesus showed us that is our ministry. An interruption to our ministry is our ministry many times. I want to encourage each of us, myself included, to be on those lookouts because those interruptions are, are oftentimes our greatest area of ministry. But how often do we say, well, I can't talk to you, I can't talk to him, I can't talk to her, because my schedule doesn't allow it, because I need to do X, because I have this deadline, because you know, I'm, I, I, can't, I can't stop and help somebody, i got to go teach them the Good Samaritan. Jesus put these disciples into service, they were trained, they served, But notice they didn't head out on a long-term mission trip at first. They did get there, but not at first. They started small, they came back. And then they used the knowledge that they gained from that trip, and they adjusted accordingly on the next one. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe God is calling you to something. He's calling you to some area of service. He's calling you to be obedient in some way. And listen, it's okay to start small. It's okay to do something for a set amount of time, even if it's a short time. And then regroup and revise. Sometimes you say, well, I don't want to do this. I don't want to volunteer for this because then I might be stuck in it for five years, ten years, the rest of my life. Would you be willing to be, to be used by God even in, in the short term in some way? Or maybe you're here and you're like Herod and you are, frankly, perplexed by Jesus. He confuses you. Maybe you're kind of scared because you're afraid of what he might require of you. Say, well, I I would put my faith in Christ, but that might mean that I need to break off this relationship. That might mean that I need to to change this part of my life. Listen, those are going to be some small things in the light of eternity. Turn to Christ and live. Or maybe you need that reminder that, that sometimes interruptions to your ministry are your ministry. Sometimes you say, well, I don't have a ministry. Interruptions in life are an area of ministry many times. Listen, those people that we run across are more than an annoyance. They are people that God has sent our way to be a shoulder to cry on, to be a source of godly counsel, to be a source of encouragement, and so forth. So be on the lookout for those opportunities that God has, has sent your way, and he will send your way. Why don't you stand with me as a musician comes. Now, as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And in the quiet of this time with nobody looking around, I just want to uh, I want to ask you are you willing to be used by God sometimes we say well i don't I don't want to say yes because I might get sent to some far-off land where they don't have the niceties of America and they don't have, you know, this or that. And listen, that may be true. But many times, God calls us to serve right where we are in the mundane things in life, in raising a family, in working the nine to five, in teaching the Sunday school class, and being a grandparent? Are you willing to be used? Maybe he's called you to something more than that, to some area of ministry. Or maybe today you're just like Herod you're perplexed, you don't know what to think about Jesus, listen, he is the Savior of the world. And all, from every tribe, tongue, nation, all groups, it doesn't matter if you're an American or non-American, if you've been in church a whole bunch or not very much, If you will put your faith in Christ, He will save you. Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray that even today as we consider these things, we think about the disciples, and we know that they are just ordinary men, that feet of clay so many times they miss it and we can identify with that because we miss it so often too thank you that you don't uh, just cast us off to the side when we do mess up and God I pray that if there's somebody um, in whose hearts you're working and drawing them to yourself for salvation for service or whatever it is I pray that you would help uh, help each one in the ways that they need God, help us all as we uh, go through life and have our plans to recognize that um, those things that we see as an interruption many times are are opportunities, not just interruptions, they're intersections, and help us make most of those times. God, we thank you for your love and for your care that you uh, hear and answer our prayers.